Okay, welcome everybody to Pen Pen Pals uh, and our continuing coverage of Darling in the Franks. Uh, this is episode five. I'm Alex. Hey, this is Brian. And hey, this is Ben. And this week we have another returning guest from season one. One oh, and wait, did you come in on all the seasons? Are you the only person to be on all the seasons so far? Oh my god, I think so. I did a uh, first season and flcl we didn't get you for gun we got you for yes. FLCL. Uh, okay all right well we're happy to have you back welcome nate hi <laughs> uh what have you been up to nate in the the time since our last recording uh nothing much uh just a lot of work a lot of sleep pretty much nothing i've been yeah? bumming up man <laughs> work schedule okay are they working you to death not to death well we were finally fully staffed so it's been it's been better okay all right, that's fair. Yeah, anybody got anything cool this week? Anybody have any catastrophes or news? No, I got I got good news. Um, yeah, I started my neural feedback training last week. Whoa! It was really hard to get the system up and running because you know it's like this EKG machine that you've got to get to communicate with certain software. And right, got it going and uh, did a brain map for myself. Did a brain map for my son, and we had our very first brain training session this morning whoa oh, right on <laughs> i asked him what he wanted to watch and he wants to re-watch the entire naruto series oh man you're in for the oh. long haul man holy <laughs> shit that is a lot <laughs> yeah there's a lot wait wait so this something he like watches it while wearing this uh ekg thing or what yeah there's little sensors stuck to his head it's just reading your brain waves and uh depending on uh it's called like a, a block training that you set up. It'll like reward certain brain functions and inhibit others. Uh, so while you're watching Naruto, um, there's little chimes that are happening in the headphones at specific times, depending on what the brainwave activity is. And then the screen like brightens and dims also, again, based on the type of brainwave activity that's happening. I'm looking for guinea pigs, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I have to do a lot of brain maps, as many as I can. And is the idea to like encourage focus or what? Uh... Oh, it's just, it's a whole variety of things. I mean, uh, I myself used it for treating uh, ADHD and dyslexia. There are also applications for depression, anxiety, trauma. Uh, it became really popular with like competition video gaming. Uh, then it became really trendy for like Wall Street executives. It sort of does the rounds. Sounds like magic. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun stuff. It's also just cool to see a live uh, model of your brain and see what's going on while you're doing things. That's that's yeah. awesome. That sounds terrifying. I think it would open up a whole bunch of anxieties. Like, is that normal? What? Why does my <laughs> brain do this? What's it doing? I, I just want you and your son to both wear them and calculate your your sync rates with one another. <laughs> you know? We're going to show up in Atlanta, like in a giant Jaeger. Like, <laughs> like the father-son Australian duo. That's strike Eureka's 10th kill to date. I want to make a darling in the Franks jokes, but it's really inappropriate because it's my son. <laughs> so we're just going to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode five. Great idea. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. we are way off topic now. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Damn it, Nate. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> the guest runs the show. Didn't we tell you? Um, okay. Last time on, much ado about Zero Two. Mitsuru whined about Zero Two being too rough. 
This gave Hero some conflicted feelings about his new partnership, but left him undeterred. Another Klaxosaur appeared, the biggest and most flexible yet. Ikuno took a piece of advice from Ichigo to be just the sweetest, most helpful partner to Mitsuru, who begrudgingly accepted some much needed support. All four Squad 13 Franks launched, but were quickly outmaneuvered by a second, wiggly, wacky, inflatable Tubasaur. Zero and Hero rose to the challenge, offering to save the seemingly doomed parasites. Instead of being benched, like when she saved everyone before, Ape decided to pull Zero 2 off the team and call her back up to the major leagues. With a dazzling teenage confession, Hero convinced Zero 2 to disobey direct orders from Papa, steal Storlezia, and most surprisingly of all, work under Ichigo's direction as part of a full Franks team. With Hero feeling deep inside Zero 2, and the team now fully assembled, Squad 13 realized they were trying to tackle the same problem and trying to fight the same ginormous two-headed Klaxosaur. Covered in blue blood, deserving a shower and a soap, the team returned to Mistletane as the whole plantation shifted to mobile configuration and started the long trek towards Plantation 26 and a much-anticipated magma kiss. Will Plantation 26 have its own Franks pilots? Will Zero Two acclimate to the team outside of combat? Are there any consequences to Hero's heroism? Let's find out. Cool. All right. Three, two, one, play. Plantation 13 will now commence the kissing with Plantation 26. What exactly is this kissing thing anyway? Oh, they even used the masculine pronoun in the opening theme. Yeah. Interesting. Are you okay? Your body was burning up back there. I'm perfectly fine. Ah, you can't sit there. You're a girl. Yeah, and that's my chair. Would you like to sit here next to me, Futoshi? Why the sudden interest in having me show you around this place? Because I'm going to be living here now, too. Huh? Good grief. Look at them holding hands. Why me and not him? What's the difference between Hiro and me? Mitsuru, you're so tough. You never lean on anyone Are you else. you pitying me? Ooh, ooh, I've got a question for you. Have any of the children from your squad gone on to become adults? Become adults? How peculiar. I mean, your nicknames. It was Code 016 who started coming up with them, correct? Hold on. You've heard of Hito? Yes, everyone has. That guy is famous amongst us children. You guys truly are unusual. Frank's designs all over the place, using nicknames instead of code numbers. What's the point of that, by the way? Hito! I just noticed the, the kid I like the most in this, his uh, code number is 666. Zoro you like Zoro <laughs> I do. I think oh he's he's just <laughs> he's he's just loud and annoying. And I, I gotta dig him. Awesome. Oh, immediately tried to play the next episode for me. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a uh, uh, binge culture. It's like, oh no, you want to watch the next one? You want to watch it now? Just, just yeah. <laughs> That's why autoplay is the default setting. You don't toggle it on. You toggle it off. Off. Yeah. <laughs> which is messed up. It's like, oh, you're gonna watch this next episode. Yeah. This is why I don't sleep. Yeah, I'm the same way. 
I feel like your lighting changed dramatically, Brian. You look very handsome in this mood light. <laughs> I uh, turned on my uh, lava lamp and my Turkish lamp. Ooh. So many lamps. You're playing lamp and you won. So, so Nate, do you think you're going to just like binge through it all now? I think what I'm going to do is, is uh, just before the like each episode airs, I'll watch it, then listen to the show. Uh, that's what I was doing <laughs> yeah. for, with Ava for a while, so I'm going to try and do it with this one. Okay, so so do it that way versus binge like the whole season right now. Oh yeah, this way I have something to like look forward to. Uh, Here's an episode. Wait the next week, talk about it, let it soak in, then enjoy the next one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just started watching um, White Lotus on HBO. I think it's really good. Um, took a couple episodes to get into it, but then I like assumed the whole show is out, and then got up to episode four and realized that it's still coming out, and I was just like. God damn it. <laughs> I gotta wait. <laughs> yeah. I think a new one tonight. What is White Lotus? It's, um, it's, so I think it's just like a six part, like mini series, kind of like Big Little Lies or something like that. It's by this guy, Mike White, who he did this show, Enlightened. It's maybe like 10 years old or something like that. He's also, he's one of the writers on School of Rock. Um, but School of Rock nice. is kind of a little bit uh, it's a different vibe than this stuff. But yeah. yeah, so so I think the plot is it's it's basically like a freeze. He froze. Anyway, but oh, you was, froze for uh, a second. Not not very relevant. Anyway, anyway, I, I was just talking through the plot, but that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I just say uh, it's worth uh, worth worth watching. Very like trippy and the the music is awesome uh, right on uh, i just took it as a very dramatic pause and i'm like oh this is a really good show yeah. <laughs> and that's when shit went down <laughs> <laughs> you may be wondering how i got here okay. uh, record scratch <laughs> okay cool so this episode was your thorn, my badge. Brian, do you have a lot of thoughts? Do you want to start taking us through? Well, let's see. Uh, we start again talking about plantations kissing. We've already been introduced to the idea, but here we've got Squad 13 going over it as a group. Mm -hmm. it sort of reveals their ignorance, which comes up a few times in this episode. What are we again? This is episode five? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have not been really spoon fed about uh, the nature of our main characters. Uh, when we just walk into the show, we just assume, oh, we got a team of human pilots that are just regular people doing regular mech fighter stuff. But slowly, there should be times when the audience starts asking questions like, why the fuck don't they know what a kiss is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's weird. Or why they're so different from, what is it, Squad uh -huh. 26? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, this episode. Anyways, yeah. Uh -huh. It's like they they're nothing like when, when he said that their mechs are nothing like theirs like they're all customized and like mm -hmm. have like like a personality mm -hmm. and everyone else's are more uniformed are they like the control are they the experiment like i mean are they the experiment oh my gosh group? we're <laughs> gonna get there this is the, yeah no i like this let's follow nate's okay. lead because we yeah. don't we haven't really done an episode survey like this before let's okay. let's start with like a a, a wide view like okay. a bird's eye view and then we can like zoom in Okay, so um, we, we start to have a little bit of things revealed. Squad 13, they don't know what kissing is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have like 
audacious reactions to the idea of someone being addressed with a term of endearment. Daddy. It was the adult thing. Yeah, there was a question like, do adults kiss? No, no, no. Um, I mean, uh, about them uh, reaching adulthood. Yeah. Why, why is that a question mark? Yeah, why don't yeah. they know? Yeah. Why don't they and know? why does this other team have a reaction to that question? Uh-huh. That's interesting. Uh, there's like awkward reactions to a couple like feeding each other affectionately. There's reactions to uh, witnessing people holding hands. There's weird intimacy issues like within the group. Mm, yes. Uh, so Nate, you also mentioned um, some other differences that are kind of highlighting that Squad 13 is special. The Franks, uh, we find out the norm is that these mechs are supposed to be uniform with uniform yeah. weapons. That's not the case. And oddly enough, like all of Squad 26, their eyes are gray. Uh, yeah, they're first. also identical heights. <laughs> the stamens are all one height and the pistols are all another height. Yeah. My theory about this episode is that there's this theme about the things that we're exposed to changing your perspective, right? So we have got members of Squad 13 suddenly being exposed to different expressions of intimacy, and then we can start to see an influence happening. And then we start to see how they react to each other when an influence starts taking hold. We'll, we'll go through it, but just like the road ahead, we've got Kokoro inviting Futoshi to sit with her and they mm. feed each other. Mm. And Miku's, Miku's has a, a mixed reaction. Uh, and then like Zorome starts to witness the, the intimacy again, expressions of affection. And what was the other thing? Uh, with Goro, this is a pretty important scene that, that we'll talk more about later. Um, but he sees Ichigo sort of breaking down and he feels compassion or empathy and doesn't know what it is mm. his hand starts shaking and he's like what is this feeling yeah well, i think it's even more complicated than just feeling compassion or empathy because yeah, anyways yeah. we'll get there yeah, we'll, yeah, get we'll there get so that. that's our yeah. wide view uh so yeah back to to kissing we get a little bit of expository about uh the energy resources that the the mechs and the plantations are using i guess we're going to get a an environmental theme yeah, so kissing is is likened to human kissing, right? They keep drawing that parallel, like the same word is used, right? The This plantation yes. kissing. Um, and this purpose of it for a plantation is to share resources, specifically magma energy with the other plantation, right? And I'd never thought of kissing that way with humans, but there is a direct parallel there, right? Like we can't like pinpoint an energy type or something, but kissing shares a resource, this like oh. sexual energy or, or mm -hmm. emotional energy. Uh, fun fact, um, I forget where I heard this. Uh, they believe kissing came from, uh, I think cavemen, when they would feed their children, like mashing food up in their mouth mm. and like giving it to their kids. Like so birds? in that, like birds, uh, but that's like an intimate thing and it just continued on. And that's how kissing like as a relationship thing like oh developed. God. You will need to fact check that. Sure. But it's believed that uh, <laughs> kissing came from feeding Thanks like you're young. Yeah. Like it was an intimate and, thing. And, and, and when Nate says y'all, he doesn't mean that we're going to fact check it. Like you, the listener, <laughs> I mean, have to fact check yeah. it. <laughs> this we're is not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast has built-in homework. But uh, I mean, on the surface, that makes perfect sense because cavemen didn't have food processors to make baby food, right? Oh. Right. Like that's how you had to do it. You had to masticate and add your enzymes. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, but yeah, super, super intimate, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So we got this discussion of intimacy and then we get the opposite of intimacy, right? This like mm. celebration where there's like fanfare. And this is the first time I think we see these, uh, we've seen like guards before with masks on, but now we see adults that have like helmets that look like they cannot see out of them. Mm-hmm. Is there some sort of symbolism there? Are they like metaphorically blind? Uh, I mean, I receive it. It felt very impersonal to me. Mm. And maybe like it, this, we just have this culture that does not value that. Mm. Oh, and there's something about not being able to see someone's eyes that is mm. uh, disturbing. Kind of like cops with aviators on. Yes, exactly yeah. like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, and that's the first time we see in person Team 26. And they're all the, all the same height. And it's great. I didn't even notice the height thing. <laughs> I just noticed they were all like kind of bland. Like, I noticed the hair. Like, everyone has like like this co- like grayish colorless hair. And they, they all seem kind of boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, no one has like a personality. And I think the only person that talks is their leader. Like no one else like says anything. Yeah. They're super normies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I didn't think about this, but so we get a uh, uh, hero gets praised throughout this episode. Even you might even consider the celebration, a celebration of his and zero two's victory, right. With the others as kind of helpers. And he's also burning up. uh we when we go to the next scene the um he's like in bed and goro checks on him because it looks like he's having a fever dream and it's like he can't contain all of this whatever energy uh adoration um emotion like it's all coming to a head um i don't know if this means anything or if i'm reading too much into it i was just thinking about the difference between uh how hero and mitsuru are affected by piloting with zero two Mm. Mitsuru is like drained and like has no energy and feels terrible and like Hiro you know like the fever thing maybe again maybe I'm reading too much into it saying that he feels great and like he is like really peppy come on let's show them what we're made of you guys don't want to just take their insults lying down right it is like he's like instead of being drained he got like overpowered or something it's like he just got laid for the first time (laughs) (laughs) He, he didn't get any sleep, but he's still like full of energy. It's almost and... like he was deep inside someone and didn't know where he started or stopped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but I have been, I have like been sick, right? Something with a fever, a flu or something, mm-hmm. but had to do something in my life. Like it was not an option to me not to do it and like worked through it. And sometimes you experience these like, moments of euphoria and these moments mm. of like unbridled energy because like your you conscious and unconscious shit. mind yeah they talk to each other and they're like okay well if we're not going to lay down then i guess we should give you all the energy we can give you so that you can resolve whatever it, you need to resolve so that we can lay down it's not good for you but it does happen yeah i just wrote down that uh Hero got the the worst STD known to man. That was my notes. As soon as yeah. they were so he's got like the worst STD. Fe- feelings. Oh yeah. Feelings. <laughs> oh no, he caught feelings. He caught feelings. <laughs> man, we better just put him down. So they move into the what do you call it? The gossip room, right? Because that seems mm-hmm. to be like, well, I guess they do some planning and stuff in it, but it seems to be where they gossip about stuff. And Miku makes fun of the Squad Thirteen boys um and then Sorame does like a little roman hitler salute which is really unnerving when he talks about uh because he's talking about papa right mm-hmm. 
And I think we're just revealing like how zealous or some things that set Zorame apart from the rest of the group. Like he may be susceptible to propaganda or like mm-hmm. a true believer where some of them may not be as indoctrinated. It looks a lot like just blind adoration, you know, like, mm. like li- little kids are vulnerable to that stuff, right? They're very yeah. vulnerable to television propaganda. And, you know, we send them to elementary school and they do the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. And-, mm. and and I guess we get a similar thing then in the next scene when they're at breakfast that they, you know, say everyone has to sit down for this prayer. And then it's uh, this prayer to Papa. May Papa never thirst. May Papa's heart be filled with peace for all eternity. Now let us eat. Now let us eat. Um, <laughs> and that... You know, it gave me very much like Big Brother kind of vibes. But it's weird because Papa, like we've seen Papa, right? Like he yeah. is like a, a living person. Robot face. But yeah, we don't we don't know what's behind the mask. But yeah. Yeah. So I, I know that uh, Alex and Ben probably would not have had this experience, but I had to go to something called vacation Bible school every summer. Oh, <laughs> and like we would do like a morning prayer and we'd pray for the president and like thank mm-hmm. god for the president and all why that would shit. you pray for the president he's got a whole country backing him up <laughs> was, was this oh, was this jesus camp did you go to jesus camp no man yes were you like in uh like, uh, like a youth bible study group because we used to do that um yeah it's a protestant thing that's what i was saying uh, alex and ben probably wouldn't know about that unless there is some catholic or mennonite version of there are absolutely catholic oh really there's a baptist of version of i it didn't too, go yeah. to them but yeah oh man we gotta yeah. get you in bible camp <laughs> <laughs> pen, pen pals are going back to school alex goes to jesus camp yeah i watched oh. that movie <laughs> um where, where are we we're uh zero two is feeding hero yeah hero, hero. Uh, her her bread and honey being awesome yeah not it's it's no longer that all of her food is covered in honey slowly she will cover everyone's food in honey <laughs> and it will be like a honey utopia so uh hero doesn't feel awkward or uncomfortable with this public display of affection anymore no she's like feeding him he's like oh yeah that, that's good that's yeah good. yeah there's like that's- a he there's like a willingness to just do whatever she says to get what he wants because he's just trying to get his confidence back. He wants to be a pilot. And his I feel like after. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His confidence is back. And I think he's just doing everything, like going through the motions of all the stuff he did with her to keep that. Um, so um, now it, it may be still a little bit awkward for him, but he's just like, fuck it. If I can pilot a, a mech and, and do boss ass shit like how I always wanted to, and all I have to do is have this chick feed me bread and honey. I'm down. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we, we do see a shift in that a little bit later, but we'll get there. But uh, I really like the, the contrast. Yeah. That whole uh, relationship is toxic. <laughs> <laughs> that whole relationship is toxic. There's a, there's a lot of red flags, especially in this episode. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, but this also inspires, like everyone has a comment about it, right? But this also inspires Zero Two sitting at the boys' table. This causes a, a shift in dynamic, mm-hmm. a crisis moment. But Kokoro is like, oh, well, easy uh, solution. Futoshi, you just come sit over here. No problem. 
And it's just like monkey see, monkey do. She even says later, her last line in the scene, I think is like, we see, we do. We see, we do. <laughs> because she starts feeding Futoshi the same way. Yeah. And it's just awesome. He looks so and, happy. <laughs> yeah. And, and someone so like Zora May is jealous that Futoshi is going over to the girls' table, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, there was something weird that happened. Like Miku had a reaction, made a comment. I don't remember because it happened so quick. It's like she like gave the hairy eyeball to Zorome or something. So Zorome said like, oh, I so wish a, uh, someone would feed me. And Goro said, well, go ask your partner. And he says, well, I want a cute girl to do it. Implying that Miku is not, is not a cute. <laughs> ah, what a dick. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I fucking love him. I think he's adorable. He's loud and kind of obnoxious. He's the little brother that you keep around. Like, you know, he's he's kind of a pain, but you love him. It's just like yeah. he's he's going to he's just going to say what he wants. Just let him do it. You know? Oh my gosh, he is the little brother. He's he's, he's the little brother. Constant little <laughs> brother. Annoying, brash. Yeah, too big for he's his britches. Loud. All about doing what Papa says. Yeah, just one, one, one more comment on that. Like a lot of the scenes where Zoro May is just uh, being a spectacle. I always happen to notice Mitsuru way in the background, just being a wallflower. Oh. Hmm. I feel like there is, there are a lot of parallels between Mitsuru and Zorome, right? Mm. That they're like both like obsessed with being the best, mm. but Zorome just like says it out loud and like says he is the best and stuff, right? But like Mitsuru is more like it kind of reminds me of this um, like narcissism versus like fragile narcissism. So like Zorome is like a narcissist. He just really thinks he's the best, even though he's not. He's super confident and stuff. Like a Goku versus Vegeta. Like arrogance versus narcissism. Yeah, or, or I think there's this concept of fragile narcissism where it's kind of like more like you want to be the best, but you kind of want the praise to like come to you. Like you actually have this like weak self-image that's constantly being like threatened by any evidence that you're like not the best and, and oh. i kind of feel like that might be more like mitsuru well so they're both like egocentric but the difference is like your actual self-worth inside of your mind yeah maybe yeah or i'm seeing it's maybe also called vulnerable narcissism or covert <laughs> narcissism oh. um so characterized by neuroticism feelings of shame and introversion like grandiose narcissism it is viewed as one of the extremes on the scale of narcissism both being classified as pathological. Wait, are you saying heroes and narcissists? No, he's saying that Zorame and Mitsuru are on either oh, end those, of the okay. narcissist spectrum, which yeah. makes sense because yeah. they're both in competition with Hero, Yeah, but they both are addressing it in separate manners. Zorame is verbose about it, and he eventually falls in line, like agreeing with Hero, whereas Mitsuru stays back and keeps his feelings hidden. Yeah. He isn't feeling awesome, because we did see him like give out his his honest feelings a couple episodes ago. And like, that's mm -hmm. when he got hurt, which, so he's probably not gonna give out his honest feelings again for a long time. He needs another one before he gets all like aggro again. Yeah. Before we um, move on to our next scene, just one, one last comment about uh, how Cavalier Zero Two is about helping yourself to the boys table. There is a YouTube channel called That Man in Japan, Utah. And uh, he's the one that brought this to my attention. Uh, the fact that Zero Two uses masculine pronouns for herself, uh, specifically like Boku, Boku no blah, 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 Boku no which is a masculine pronoun versus Watashi. But uh, I was watching this with my folks who are Japanese, and uh, the first time that happened, they're like, oh, 
not like they fucked up the script or whatever, but like, oh, this says something about her. Mm. Um, and just a little side note, they also explained that Watashi is also kind of a unisex pronoun, like men and women can use it. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure what the subtle meaning that might put into your speech or not. But as of this episode, I also realized that I guess sort of the voice of Zero Two in our theme song also is consistently using those masculine pronouns. Mm-hmm. So, so in the dub, do they do anything to say? Oh, say this is one of those things that gets lost in translation. Yeah. 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 Like, so what's going on here? Like, it's yeah uh, a lot of pushing against like gender roles. Mm-hmm. I'm happy you said that because I had this feeling. I'm not sure how their mechs work, but I think the reason why uh, Hero is able to pilot with uh, with Zero Two so well is because she's there needs to be like a masculine fem- feminine or submissive uh, dynamic between the two, mm-hmm. and it like maybe a between, giver giver receiver yeah a giver receiver personality. And the reason why it never worked with any of her other teammates because those guys are I imagine they were like at least her last dude seemed like kind of a bro. He's huge. Uh, yeah, he seems like a bro, and mm. even the way he talks, he was like, "You're not. You're not." He was like, "You can't. This. You're." You know what I'm saying? He says something along the lines like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, wait, you don't want to ride this, this ride. Is this you can't, spoilers? You can't or handle is this... a woman like this. No, that was, no, that's no, 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 no. That was in the first episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Just the beaten up guy who dies. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I forgot about that part. But I get the feeling like the reason why everyone works so well with the partners that they have is because there's that whole give-receive like mm. thing going on. Even with uh, Goro and Ichigo, mm-hmm. Ichigo is the leader. Yes. Like she's the, she's the uh, giver. Goro is the receiver. He's, I guess, would be the the, the feminine uh, of the two. She's the strong personality. He's the, I'm, I'm not saying the weaker of the personalities, but he caters to her. Like, he's the one who, like, he's nurturing. balances her out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. He's the nurturing one in the relationship. Same mm-hmm. thing with uh, Hero and Zero Two. I think it was rough in the beginning because they're both, like, I think with her partners, it, they're both kind of fighting for that role. But when they started to actually work together is when she, like, kind of gave in to him. She let him take the lead. And that's when, like, they put on their best performance. He's cognizant. Like, he felt like he was deep inside her. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He didn't mm-hmm. know where the two of them again. Like, they were kind of linking. I think that's what's going on. I don't, I don't know how it is with everyone else's relationship, but I, sometimes I feel like if, if you're willing to take a step back and let someone else take the lead, uh, instead of you just constantly trying to force yourself into it or control something, there's a balance there that works better for both parties, and this way you can actually like tune in, like you'll actually be in sync. And I think we're going to start seeing that with Hero and uh, Zero Two, uh, those two give and take. Okay, it looks like he's taking the lead. I'm gonna let him take the lead on this, and I'll follow. Or mm. she's uh, she seems to like got it all together. Let me let let her take the lead, and I'll follow. And that'll help with like their dynamic. And the other teammates will start doing the same. Like, but we'll see some conflict because this is like a change like happening like among everyone with their their dynamics. But I feel like that's gonna be the whole thing. Like, there's gonna be this power struggle almost uh, mm-hmm. before everyone starts like knowing when to like let someone else like take the reins. Mm-hmm. I really like these observations. Um, I'm just kind of thinking about the rest of Squad 13 and uh, just like the shape of things to come. But I'm thinking about the personalities. I'm thinking about Futoshi being a somewhat compassionate or nurturing personality. And sure. Kokoro is as well. Sure. Uh, but I, I do like that Goro Ichigo observation. Goro, absolutely. Is. Oh, yeah. He is the O negative of that group. I feel like he might be the use. <laughs> He's the universal donor of their group. Uh, any more on this before we move on to the, the next scene? 
No, I think we're good. And this is where Hero and Zero Two kind of wander around all day. Yeah, Hero and Zero Two uh, touring Mistletane. Uh, Zero Two has requested Hero give her, like in her words, show her around. An intimate thing. Yeah, it, it's it's a fun little uh, you know breather in this episode. Uh, we get some narration over top, but largely it's. Uh, you know, the background music playing out and just, you know, like panning shots of like taking in the ambience as, you know, like Zero Two is like looks in wonder at like the skeleton wing of a bird. I think she sees the library for the first time and, you know, heroes in the foreground and Zero Two is in the background just like taking books off the shelf <laughs> like a little kid or something. It is kind of funny. We sort of see Zero Two maybe a different aspect of her personality here. She seems, I don't know, not childlike, but maybe lighthearted, inquisitive, and jumping on a bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Just a, a real good slice of life uh, chapter in this episode. Yeah, maybe like uh, some delayed childhood things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it, to me, it feels like they're like they're out on a date, you know? It's like... Uh, yeah, okay. Couple stuff. Yeah, just being playful. Uh, I like that she's in awe of the library because it's kind of like a Beauty and the Beast moment. Yeah. I don't know. That just sense of awe and wonder. Mm-hmm. And like the, the date ends where they first met, right? Oh, yeah. And she demands something of him. She demands he make it. <laughs> that was funny. And instead of being smart and pulling out a bunch of ones, he just says he <laughs> So they're teenagers. How are they teenagers? And how does she not know the nature of rain? She doesn't know the nature of rain within Mistletane. Okay. Because he says it's on a schedule. Like, it doesn't just rain. Something makes it rain. Yeah. And she's like, okay, well, then make it rain. And he's like, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm going to speculate that she's never seen rain before. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to agree. It kind of feels like that. What? But, well, no, no. Well, think about it. Uh, episode one, she talks about how she wants to swim in an ocean. I think this is her like her first outing, like outside of just doing combat. She um, knows what an ocean is, but she doesn't know what rain. Yeah, is. but she's never been in an ocean. She's remember, never she seen gets it. In the water. She no, no. Remember when she gets in the water? She said, "I thought the ocean was supposed to be salty." And then he tells her, "That's not an ocean. This is just a pond here." Mm-hmm. I don't think she's ever been to an ocean or swam or done I, anything like. I think she knows about these things and this is her first time experiencing them. Yeah. So he might be right. She's never probably never seen rain before. Uh, well, I'm I'm gonna be on Alex's side. I don't know. <laughs> to me, I wonder with the ocean thing, like because uh, whenever they go outside, it just looks like it's this giant desert. And I almost wonder if it's like oceans don't exist anymore. Like the <gasps> like the world is you know, something has happened where now everyone's just living in these like pods and stuff. But I don't know. It seems like all all of these pods would have rain and, and stuff like that. I don't know. All right. So I'm going to drop. It's a little bit of a spoiler, but it has nothing to do with like the actual story or anybody's character arc. OK, uh, so Mistletane is a special place, right? It looks like an old style uh, boarding house or something with plumbing that we recognize and couches and all that stuff. Uh, the rest of the plantation doesn't look like that. The rest of the plantation looks like something out of like THX 1138. It's this futuristic thing. And my speculation is that Zero Two did not have a missile tane 
if she was a part of another squad, uh, that was not their experience. And I don't even know if any other squad has a mistletane. I was just Googling mistletane, Mm -hmm. and I guess it means mistletoe. Mm -hmm. And it is a legendary sword from some, like, Icelandic uh, saga. Oh, so. I gotta look into that. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. We have okay. So I talked about a little, or I uh, teased it last time, but we're gonna have to talk about a lot of mythology. Uh, we can't get to <laughs> all of it yet, but uh, like Nana is also Baldur's wife in mm-hmm. Norse mythology. So now I'm looking out for Hachi. I'm like, oh, oh. they're like counterparts. So is Hachi somehow like Balder? And then like mistletoe. Pretty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> so mistletoe grows like in the treetops. Mistletane is on the top of a plantation. Mm. Did mistletoe come up earlier? We did talk about mistletoe Something. that it kills oaks. It kills things that are hundreds of years older than it. Uh, but we but, had not gone into all of this. W- was that because of mistletoe, or was there some other reference to mistletoe in the show? I was trying to remember. I think that was the uh, the yeah, reference. Okay. Well, there is a Franks that shoots missiles out of the bottom of its feet. The mistletoe out of its taint. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the ultimate attack. Yeah. yeah. So moving along, uh, Nana talks to Ichigo about Hero uh, and Zero Two and kind of breaks the news that, hey, Zero Two is going to be joining the team. That means she's kind of under your command. And then Goro talks to Ichigo that he's really uh, worried about Hero. Yeah, so Goro's raising some concerns and um, Ichigo had just been talking about like connection and like she's starting to get this idea that when the two pilots have connection in a different sense that she has been previously thinking about like mm-hmm. this is where her headspace is starting to go and uh she frames it differently but like she's trying to get everyone into like this new headspace and i think that's why she was sort of reprimanding goro like ichigo is in the place now where like she's like we need streletsia to win and like apparently this connection between hero and zero two is working and uh now goro is raising something that could diminish that she doesn't want that and in fact she wants like her and goro to like maybe we need a piece of that mm. and it's a little bit sad um like she's being friendly with hero now like they have this one really nice conversation and it gets interrupted like really sharply when right. zero two walks in and it like it affects her like uh hero and zero two walk off camera and the camera stays on uh ichigo as you can still hear zero two and hero talking and it's just like, oh, he doesn't care. Like, that's who he's connected with. And she can't really act out emotionally because she's supposed to be the leader. Yeah. Uh, little conflict of interest going on. Mm-hmm. But she's mm-hmm. still supposed to kind of flex on Zero Two, right? But I think Zero Two is using that kind of to her advantage. Like, kind of getting in uh, Ichigo's head. Yeah, yeah she's going to get in her head. Let's get in that head. Okay, but we got a couple <laughs> of things we got to do before we get in that head. Yeah. We got uh, Kokoro and Mitsuru. Yeah. And Kokoro is like a big fan of Mitsuru's. Yeah, that's a surprise. She's like, you know, I really admire the way you handle yourself. And he is just falling apart, coughing. His confidence is wrecked. And he's popping pills. Yeah, he's popping mm-hmm. pills. You know, but, but, but he does that secretly, right? And then he like stands up straight 
when she shows up. Yeah, he's got the shakes. It makes him look weak. So I was assuming he was like taking morphine or something. Uh, and he doesn't want to do that. Uh, Futoshi is his roommate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just assuming, like, why did he need to sneak off for this? Because he doesn't want Futoshi to see. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. look weak. Uh, and then when Kokoro, I, I can't remember what he she says that's supposed to be a genuine compliment, but he takes it in the most negative way. Mm. Like, don't pity me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I guess looking back, Mitsuru did look very confident anytime he had like some monologue he did in the gossip room. Mm. We got to see Mitsuru from Kokoro's angle, from her lens. Yeah. And then there's a tiny scene with Ichigo moving Zero into her new Mm -hmm. room, uh, which is a big moment. Yes. Kind of like an RA showing you your college dorm room, right? Uh What's awesome is there's a little bit more dignity here than its predecessors because, you know, we have a lot of Urutsai Yatsura, the invader girl alum DNA here. Mm -hmm. And in Urutsai Yatsura, they did live in the same room. Lum lived in Ataru's room, but slept in the closet mm-hmm. uh zero two at least gets her own room a little more dignity than lum yeah. this is kind of my basis for the speculation that no other squad has a missile chain okay that the scene that we're talking about ichigo is making zero two's bed is she just doing that to be nice or does zero two just not know what the fuck this whole thing is like i don't think she's I don't think she's ever had a room like this before. No, I think she's being, I think uh, Ichigo was just being accommodating, like, hey, like welcoming her and like setting her up, getting her like prepared in a room. I don't think she was, she doesn't know how to make her bed, but I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't. Like she doesn't come off as like the person who cleans their room like every once in a while. It's just (laughs) shit all over the place. Uh, (laughs) But I don't think she like doesn't know. I think Ichigo was just being nice. Yeah. But it also made me like rethink these, uh, these dining room scenes. Like, my impression initially is that zero two doesn't give a fuck about the rules and she's going to sit where she wants. But then just in the back of my head is like, does she just not know the rules mm. or is it just, is it both? I mean, I think the, the last episode when she jumps away from the, the soldiers escorting her and like breaks through the window. Like, I mean, I think she clearly has no problem not following the rules or, mm-hmm. or breaking rules. So it's true. Okay. And she's aware of uh, like rules of authority, but she might not be, like you said, Ryan, she might not be aware of uh, social rules, a lot of mm-hmm. unspoken rules mm-hmm. that have developed uh, either from the direction of like Nana and other adults, or maybe just within the group itself. Yeah. Mm. And like you said in a previous episode, Ben, like social hierarchies uh, to some extent, they seem to pop up out of their on their own right you set like any group of people together even if they're young people and without knowing those hierarchies beforehand they will start to develop something like it i guess too that then that's making me think like oh is like zero two supposed to be a little bit spectrumy or something like Mm. that like a little bit autistic like i think we Mm. talked about maybe ray and, and speculated some with Shinji in the Evangelion series. And yeah, and I think she's got a lot of Ray DNA inside her too. So that that tracks with me. And my head is in such a different place. <laughs> I'm thinking about Star Trek, man. I'm thinking like Zero Two has Klingon DNA. You ever seen that show? Like with the, the way the Klingons sleep, they sleep on a metal plank. In my head, that's where like Zero Two is coming from. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Plus those plug suits, they have that like Klingon metal spine that their uniforms have. 
Okay. Well, when we recast this, we'll get Worf to play Zero Two (laughs) in the live action. Michael Dorn. Yeah. He could do it. He's great. He's got the body for it. (laughs) (laughs) You belong to me. I am not a merry man. Oh, hey. Yeah. Worf, he had some uh, intimacy things too. He couldn't Uh, mate with a regular human because he would like kill the woman or something. Yeah, no, that, that is. Oh my god, that is absolutely not. Uh, all is. right, save it, save it for your Star Trek podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we get kind of a series of mirrors coming up. Uh, first, we get Hero literally looking into a mirror as sweat drips off of his face into the sink. And like, mm-hmm. we get the first impression like, oh, maybe he's lying to everyone, maybe he doesn't feel fine. And is that the scene where he looks at his chest for the first time? Yeah. And there's like this blue tumor. You're like, oh. Yeah. Um, to jump back a little bit, still on the same part, uh, same yeah. subject. When Ichigo fixes his collar, mm. did anybody notice a little prick that was on his neck too? There's like a pinhole prick that's on the side of his neck. Oh. That he's like quick to like try to cover up. Like vampire marks. Yeah. But it's like one little prick like in, in his neck. Sure. Uh, during that time hmm. um, i thought that was like related to the thing that was on his chest his big blue std right right over his right over his heart <laughs> right over his right heart. over his heart got the clacks in that scene he's also looking at uh, a spider go up to this moth that it's caught in its web and right. uh you know, obviously he's the he's the moth caught in in Zero Two's web, and um, kind of makes me think too that you know spiders are one of the things they're famous for is the that some species the females kill the males mm. after they mate. Um, so I think they they're doing some stuff with that that imagery there. Yeah, and even the Black Widow is like gendered, right? Like the females are the the, mm-hmm. the dangerous part of the species. Maybe that spider is why he has little holes on his neck. Like <laughs> he's fine. Like zero two and him get along fine, but he, he accidentally just got a really recluse. bad yeah, <laughs> yeah from a spider bite. So then we get a less literal mirror where the parasites meet their counterparts. They meet Team Twenty Six. I was like, why? Why are they thirteen and twenty six? And I think it's a joke about uh, season lengths. That thirteen episodes <laughs> is a better idea for a season because. You, you have less filler, you have to focus your story more, and you also get to focus your resources on a smaller amount of time, whereas 26 is the standard, right? Half a year, that's what a season is. Like Evangelion was 26, and the 26s are all the same. They're all standardized. <laughs> they're all gray. They're all fucking children of the corn. Bunch like, of running a number of ass kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the 26s, we don't see them yet, but they say we pilot identical Franks. They're all the same. Whereas 13, they have their own shit. It's interesting. Uh, I- I'm fixating on the, the filler comment though. That, that's really polarizing <laughs> in the anime community. I'm, I'm in the camp that uh, not all filler is the same. Uh, Correct. Not all fillers created equal. Totally agree. This episode yeah. would be considered by some people to be a filler, filler episode, episode. Yeah. but no, it's not so. at all. It moves the story forward. Mm-hmm. The The definition, or uh, I think an episode can't be called filler unless it doesn't move the story forward. I don't think this is filler. I think they just took the time to like develop the characters a little bit more. Mm. This is not like an episode of One Piece where it's like, oh yeah, this is definitely filler. <laughs> 
There's some filler episodes that are the reason why I would care about a character, like once the action starts. Right. I don't think that's a filler episode. That's the shit that gets cut, like in an abridged season. Like some studios put together a, 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 a like a disc collection of like the essentials. Totally. Okay. Sorry, I took us off track again. No, you're amazing. No, good. So, so then, I think next we get the uh, the planning scene. So. We have 13 and uh, 26. We have those squads both in the room for the first time. Um, but for some reason, uh, Zero, Two, and, and Hero, and Nana aren't there at the beginning. So they, they're talking about this plan, and then they bring up Sherlesia, and uh, Zero, Two makes uh, her entrance, and we learn that Squad 26 has had kind of a a previous run-in with her where um you know i guess her her reckless fighting style led to maybe some unnecessary deaths or injuries or something like that and we we start to learn that she might not have the same feelings of like valuing human life mm-hmm. <laughs> that the other characters do but but that also like hero kind of steps in to to defend her and the plan or or maybe he kind of says like look i'm going to be piloting so you don't have to worry about recklessness i'll i'll take care of that Mm -hmm. yeah so this is the episode where my perception of zero two started to get really complicated for the first four episodes i was like yeah zero two she's an awesome badass but now, like, I'm starting to see some red flags, like the first one when uh, Ichigo was showing her her quarters and Zero Two drops that line. My darling belongs to me. It's like this kind of fucked up thing to, like, frame your partner in that way as this possessive. It's objectifying. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, as we've already mentioned, like, this confrontation between the leader of Squad 26 and, like, she's like, eh, doesn't ring a bell. Like she did something reckless in the field and like this person's partner was killed and apparently it's not an isolated incident. No. Right. Uh, In addition to being a partner killer, she also has this reputation of like getting members of other teams killed because she's quote unquote reckless and she just does not give a fuck about that. Yeah. She creates this sense of like self-fulfilling prophecy Uh because later Ichigo voices a concern to her about uh, what if it kills Hero? And she says, well, then he wasn't worth very much. Then he wasn't strong enough. Then he wasn't really my darling, which is a, like, we can see that, yeah, your vision of Zero Two is becoming complicated. I think absolutely, you're spot on because like what she believes is palpable. Like there is a through line to her. It doesn't make sense. And it probably won't make any sense to us, but like she has something she believes in and she has like mental gymnastics to make it work. Yeah. So this is in stark contrast, like, uh, like zero two's character development here is in such sharp contrast to hero's character development last episode. Uh, like, so last episode hero had his confession. Like I never, I didn't really care about piloting, but I care about being with you. Mm Mm-hmm. But in here, we're seeing the, the exact opposite. She's like looking for the person, her darling, that can be piloting with her, but doesn't really care about the individual. Does that make sense? 
I think it's more so that she's looking for someone who's just compatible with her. They said she's not human, right? Yeah. Like she's looking for someone who's who she can be with that, you know what I'm saying, who can take like her personality, uh, her aggression. Um, like I guess it's it's shown before that uh, them piloting the the Maxes or the Franks uh, is, is sex. Combat is sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's looking for her her mate, you know what I'm saying, someone who's strong enough who can who can keep up with her. Uh, and if they can't, then it's just like, oh well. And I guess, I mean, in in terms of the like the partner actually dying, like in the world, right? Like that's very fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like yeah. clearly she doesn't have the the we had the scene where she's very kind of nihilistic and maybe ambivalent about her own life and and kind of the point of all of this. Once we die, all will be is a statistic. So it's maybe not even that she's undervaluing others compared to herself, but just that, you know, she's like, what? what's the point of any of this or, or something like that. But um, with it as like a metaphor for kind of relationships or partnerships, I mean, I do see that as something that maybe changes a bit, you know, when you're first starting to have romantic relationships versus she's this person kind of with more experience or whatever and it's like yeah i don't even remember this dude whose heart i broke like five years ago or whatever and and kind of like this more of a like yeah well if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out like i'm not gonna change myself to try to force something to work that that isn't supposed to work i'm just gonna be myself and and if it works out it works out and if not we are seeing her kind of change. Um, she normally takes lead with her with her partners, her darlings, when they're piloting with her. But in last episode, she was willing to give Hero the the reins, like let him take over, um, instead of her just like completely dominating the other person, like she did the last kid yeah. who we tried to ride with her. I think she's just lonely, and she's looking for someone, you know, what I'm saying that she can be compatible with. I think Hero might be the one that she's like. She's got her hopes up for. She maybe sound like kind of like cold when she's talking to Ichigo, but I think that's just to throw it in Ichigo's face. Um, well, let's agree that it's complicated, and maybe maybe Zero Two doesn't even know what's going on with herself. And I don't know if it meant anything that her little headband got knocked off. It seems to be electronic and serves some kind of purpose, but it gets knocked off her horn, and uh, Zero Two's like sort of inner feelings sort of come out i don't know if they're her true feelings but what's sort of revealed is that she cares more about what hero can do for her than she cares about hero and that's ugly but that's not completely who she is i think sometimes she cares about him yeah i feel like it was the other way around Mm. i don't think hero like really feels connected with o2 like she's kind of a means to an end like well, i think no, i would have people... agreed with that up until episode four i feel like when he finally says i don't care about piloting i care about being partnered with you mm. uh, i think that's where we see his change and now i see i think we're seeing not exactly a change but like this scene specifically it's spelled out to us the difference between what it means to be human and what it means to be a monster ichigo says like you don't care about people like they're right you are a monster you're heartless mm. and that's what makes her a monster and like zero two doesn't get it she says like being human what does that mean to you people what is a man excellent question it was just explained to her what it means to them but it's lost on her 
Yeah. yeah. She doesn't understand caring about another person more than herself. Hmm. And I'm not judging her for that because she's had a hard life yeah. with no guidance. <laughs> but but I, I don't think necessarily that it's not that she doesn't care about people more than herself. I think she doesn't care about herself either. Okay. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There is a disposability to her philosophy and maybe there is something to there maybe like darling is i mean i just like the sound of it maybe it's like very intentional because she's not looking for hero she's looking for her darling Mm -hmm. you're not looking for someone who's compatible you're looking for your true love which is like a stupid story we get told <laughs> when we're young. And we're like, there's someone out there and they are just, you know, barcoded for you. you Your know? soulmate. Yeah. That's in. Yeah. Like there is the feeling of having a soulmate of finding a soulmate, but that's not the feeling of like meeting someone and seeing them. That's the feeling of like getting to know someone over time and realizing that your values actually do complement each other, that they do add up to something. So it's almost like her concept of a relationship came out of a children's book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, you mentioned the headband. Mm. Uh, I, in my notes, I wrote down, it kind of reminds me of the headband that uh, Sun Wukong wears, his inhibitor. In what? Yeah. From so what? you know the crown, Sun Wukong from the Journey to the West? Oh, the Monkey King. Yeah. Okay. So you know the the crown that he wears? Sure. It's an inhibitor. Anytime he tries, like he gets too emotional or acts out. It tightens, it causes him pain, it keeps him from, you know, doing weird monkey shit. Right. Hmm, I think hers is like an inhibitor, keeping her from getting like too emotional. So when she got slapped and it came off, I think if she got slapped and it didn't come off, she would have probably brushed it off and told her to go fuck herself. Yeah. But it flew off. And then her horns started to glow and eyes started to glow. I think that's her like emotional inhibitor, keeping her from doing like really violent shit. So awesome. And then like we get saved, right? The narrative gets saved. Like they're about to come to this point of confrontation. Like zero two is maybe going to like tear Ichigo apart or something. But like as the emotion overflows, that's when the rain starts. Yeah. We get saved by this rain. So like the overflowing emotion kind of becomes the rain metaphorically. And like the wonder and joy of like, oh no, this is that thing I wanted to see. Yeah. It like, cools her down for a second and she doesn't attack Ichigo and Ichigo is able to leave peacefully and have her own little breakdown out of sight of zero two. Yeah. Oh, and this is, this is what we, okay. So we mentioned this at the beginning. So she breaks down, she's crying on this, uh, uh, sitting on the steps and then Goro comes out. Goro's kind of been like half listening to them from the distance. You're like, ah, that's kind of shitty, but they confront it right there. She's like, did you hear all of that? And he's like, yeah, some of it. And then, yeah, she breaks down and he go. He reaches his hand out to comfort her. You said he feels compassion, but he doesn't know what it is. And that may be true, but he reaches out to comfort her and then she calls out for Hero. It's not like hmm. she's mentioning Hero. It's like, I don't know, being in an intimate moment with some mm-hmm. partner and they use a different name and you're like, oh, not what you want, like kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know if I want to touch you right now. I don't know if that was a mistake. It could have been, you know, whatever things happen. But like now we should probably stop and we should talk about this. <laughs> Damn, that's rough. Yeah. Can we can we agree that Goro is the bestest boy? Like, hell yeah. He's, 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 he really is just the rock <laughs> of that group. He's taking everyone's emotional shit mm-hmm. and, and just 
keeping it all inside. If he has a breakdown, if something happens to him, I'm going to stop watching the show. Aww. <laughs> I'm going to stop watching the show. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> I guess go, going back to the then the thing about them, you know, not knowing what kissing is and not knowing about intimacy, I mean, it, it seems to me that, like, Ichigo clearly has a thing for Hiro and has, like, developed, you know, these feelings for him but like she's like what's wrong with me like she's yeah. like why do i feel this way right she has no way of like kind of processing and understanding her like jealousy and and her feelings and then i think now this is like goro having that like feeling for the first time that you know he he has feelings for for ichigo but like like feeling that jealousy and that love yeah, when she's calling out for hero, but but like neither of them, they just yeah, they don't have any framework. So it's just like their body is like doing stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I feel this way? Yeah, I, I think I've already mentioned this, so we can edit this out later if it's redundant. But like, to me, what's really interesting about this uh, Goro Ichigo dynamic is this idea of like being in charge versus being a leader. So like Ichigo was assigned the role as the leader and she's in charge and like she flexes on people, uh, but you know, it has mixed results. And like here we have this moment where like, she's sort of going over like these various failures, like failure to influence people. Uh, she wasn't able to train Hiro to be a pilot and X, Y, and Z. But then like Goro uh, for the last four episodes, we just see him poking in and out and like sort of affirming people and, giving them the good feelings and <laughs> yeah that's what i think that makes him like the perfect partner for her yeah. like she's a strong leader but like leaders break um he's the one who like steps in and like helps her but he'll keep everyone else like in check like hey everything's good everything's fine you know what i'm saying trust in your leader trust in leadership you know what i'm saying we got this he's willing to do what it takes to like make sure she is still in good standing not with just yeah. everyone but with herself uh and now we're talking about sniffing some rain yeah <laughs> petrichor the smell after it rains oh is that what that is yeah petrichor there's a word for that <laughs> yeah. i thought that was like greek metal or something <laughs> <laughs> well i think icker is like blood or lifeblood and petra petra rock right okay oh. so like the smell of the earth so it would be a good name for a greek metal band yeah petrichor we got to talk about Darling and the Breaks. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like Zero might stay outside while it's raining all night uh, because it's light out when Hero finds her and they like have this moment. And he emphatically, unambiguously states to her, right? Like, it doesn't matter what happens to me. Uh, you know, this looks bad and shows her the, the thing on his chest, the tumor, yeah. um, his clacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and she's like overjoyed. She's like, okay, cool. Maybe you really are my darling. Yeah. Even if it is just for a short moment or for a short while, she's willing. They're both willing to go like all the way. The candle that burns brightest, you know. Oh, they're like yeah. Thelma and Louise. Maybe she's just Polly. Maybe that's what this is. Uh, mm. you know? That would probably be a really healthy thing for her to explore. Yeah. <laughs> So I know a lot of fans like this ending because we get to see like full bloom, manic dream girl, pixie, whatever the saying is. But for me, this is like the last red flag of the episode. Like we we have these really 
kind of profound lines. Like she's looking at the blue scarration and says it hurts unbearably so, but it looks beautiful. And it's like a metaphor for relationships or, or mm-hmm. a lot of things in life. And, um, you know, he does express a commitment and it could have just ended in this like really nice touching moment by the lake where they first met, but then she gets ecstatic, awkwardly <laughs> so. And if I was hero, I would just be thinking in my head, uh oh, <laughs> what? That man is excited for the danger, man. He's he's willing to go go the go the distance. Hell's yeah. I mean, I get it. She's experiencing acceptance, but she's said some dark shit uh, and revealed some kind of dark thoughts. And then they have this nice moment and she's like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> she's been up all night. Like uh-huh. haven't you ever like been up all night and then like something happy happens right before you go to bed and you're like, Wee! Mm-hmm. and she, she's very lucky, right? Because she just made these, uh, she just said these awful things and made these admonitions to a different person. And then she got to have her joyful moment with hero. Yeah. I don't feel like it's the right response in that particular moment though. Well, he's happy with it. <laughs> we don't know. We yeah. see Zero Two's happy. I mean, is this more of a red flag than when she emerged from a lake with a fish in her mouth? <laughs> in her mouth. <laughs> that should have been the first thing. That was a dead giveaway. Stay away. Yeah. Um, and I do love in the scene, there's a couple of shots of a, I don't know if it's like a heron or a swan, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a pelican, but there's like a large bird taking wing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, since... This is Ben's first ride through the show. Let me just ask, like, what, what's, what's your feeling about Hero and Zero Two at this point? And what would you speculate uh, the future of their relationship might be? Hmm. Well, it seems like something bad is going to happen the next time they ride together. Uh, they, they will then not be able to ride together for a while. And they'll maybe, you know, kind of the, the classic story structure would then be you know he has to like overcome some stuff and then they reunite and like you know to get ride together and now they can make it work and they beat the big villain but that's not really uh gynax's style (laughs) Mm. so so i feel like there's going to be some kind of twist on that uh on that formulation and i don't know what it's going to be it feels like they're kind of setting up this like Ichigo versus Zero Two, you know, it's kind of like the girl next door versus the <laughs> hot you know, new chick like that the, shows up. <laughs> yeah, the hot new chick that shows up is kind of crazy. And um, but 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 I think the way they're setting it up though, it's like saying like, hey, just because you're like friends with someone and and you like have a history, that doesn't mean that you're like romantically compatible. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're doing a good job of. And I think that was like one of the themes in this episode and kind of why Ichigo was breaking down at that. And it was like how I'm so close to this guy, but we can't form this same connection that he can form with this woman that he just met. And that really is like tearing her apart. Mm. So anyway, I have no idea, which I think is a a good place for for a show to be in um, where you just, yeah, don't don't really know where they're going with it. Awesome. Uh, Nate, so you said this is your second time through the show? Not really. I never made it all the way through. Okay. I only watched like the first few episodes. The uh, first okay. Time I went through. Do you want to make any predictions that wouldn't spoil anything for Ben for the next episode? 
Um, and we'll give you points later if they come true. Yeah. What, what's your What's your <laughs> gut feeling? What's my gut feeling? I think they're gonna ride together. Um, it's gonna feel like the worst is about to happen, but then something clicks. Uh, I honestly think he's like transforming. Like he's becoming more like her. Just some people survive the transformation and some people don't. It's like a whole Witcher thing going on. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's cool. So, like, I'm tempted to talk spoilery, but I'm not. No. And, uh, I'll no. Neither of them have seen it. We cannot yeah. talk spoilery. Can we close us out with a little bit of a like, Japanese folktale stuff? Yeah. Please. Okay, so, if you guys got the time. Um, Ooh, before you do, quick oh, question. Yeah. Um, it's about their uniforms, mm. uh, their ties, or whatever the hell you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Is that supposed to be like a chromosome thing? Yeah. X and Y? Okay. The guys are wise, but they're upside down. Yeah. They're upside down. Okay. I just want to make sure I wasn't just like looking at that. And I was like, That's... But it also makes them uh, aesthetically similar to, since it's upside down, it also makes it more aesthetically similar to the hanged man rune, which is like sacrificial. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Brian. So I, I was told this Japanese folktale when I was younger and I tried to search it and couldn't and my mom couldn't help me out. But uh, like there's this tale about this like samurai and he meets this like, I don't know if it's like an oni or a yokai spirit, but it's like beautiful woman and she's got these powers and uh, they start this courtship. You know, it's like an epic romance. And like once they're finally ready to make a commitment, um, like he gives her this gift and I can't remember if it's like a bracelet or a necklace. But like when he puts it on her, it like uh, suppresses her powers. And like Nate, when you mentioned the uh, journey to the West and Zero Two's uh, headgear, like that's what it reminded me of. It like it's a, kind of like a metaphor for like sexism and uh, the patriarchy. It's just like betrayal, the means of control. Yeah, and it's like she genuinely loved him, and he couldn't trust that. Like he couldn't trust her uh, because she had a power he chose control over love uh and, you know it's just this tragic tale of warning and if there's any listeners out there that are able to source that i would love to revisit that fable well maybe i wouldn't love to because it was sad and horrible <laughs> but i want to read it that sounds awesome yeah well not like awesome because you know you get what i mean it sounds mm-hmm. like a good it sounds like a good story yeah but I, I know that it was a popular story in Japan. Like I remember visiting and watching like a televised movie version of the story with oh. my family and, you know, my uncle kind of explained it all to me and I was like, Oh God, that's fucked up. <laughs> so I just wonder if there's any like suggestion of that uh, in this darling in the Frank story. Like they mix a lot of metaphors and symbolism. Yeah. Synthesis, baby. Messy business. Oh. Like, does anybody have that? feeling that like is there some other like level to zero two or power that's maybe being inhibited or controlled like we saw that in neon genesis right like the actual units had like dampeners so, on them to prevent yeah. them from going into like beast mode or berserk yeah berserk there it is yeah hmm so you're saying that in ava the uh the avas were the the weapon and they needed to be checked kept in check but in this the young women are the weapon they need to be kept in check could be or at least zero two well okay zero two sure no even the position they're in uh inside the fronks is kind of a submissive one Mm -hmm. well that's proto-human mating like you know most mammals mate that way 
Yeah, but look where the controls for the the males to hold on to are from. It's. Do you want to hold somewhere else while you pilot? No, but I'm saying he's like <laughs> they come off. But I'm saying they come off of the female pilots. Like they're attached to the female pilots. Like they're controlling the female to control the the Frank itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are the Franks. They yeah. are the the conduit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As you can see, their faces are the things that manifest on the Franks, right? Oh yeah. Even though sometimes the man's voice comes through <laughs> the, the Franks, and it's <laughs> I think it's adorable. <laughs> So just another speculation, just as we've seen Zero Two push against uh, gender norms with her pronouns, maybe uh, going forward, we might see some other pushing against gender roles with like, say, the positioning of pilots. Man, you are just the worst. It might happen. It might not. There's a, there's a pegging episode. <laughs> take you anywhere that's why i want to see if uh uh goro and uh what's his name uh hero like pilot together like i wonder if it's like if it's not like if it's does it always have to be a female pilot like could it be just a personality trait thing and not so much just like actual like gender like i think that is a great question to ask it is a great question for Nate to ask. We might have an answer later. Who knows? It is not a great question. See, now for I'm going to sit next to show to ask. <laughs> we might never have the answers to those questions. Oh my God. You're amazing. I'm so glad I'm doing this with all of you. <laughs> Nate, uh, you've told us before. You'll tell us again. Where do we find you if we don't have enough Nate in our lives? Okay. On Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. Hey. You can find me. <laughs> I know. I finally, I finally went over to the dark side. You can find me at Art by Midnight. That's uh, Art underscore by underscore Midnight, spelled M I D N I T E. And you can watch me do weird stuff on TikTok. I make weird videos using Reface uh, that make me look handsome. Because who doesn't want to see their face superimposed on Vin Diesel? I know I do. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, I started drawing again, so I've, uh, if you check out my uh, Instagram, you may see some new sketches pop up soon. Awesome. Um, and you can contact us at penpenpalspod uh, on Twitter or penpenpalspod at Gmail. Or give us a review, you know, some stars, maybe a rating. Do it. Your Lord Commander commands it. Okay. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darling. I love it. Okay, cool. You guys are awesome.